In Australia, we do pride ourselves on uh, living in a functional democracy and we have voices that we don't want to hear, but we do hear them anyway. <laughs> and we know that there are lobby groups that go and meet with politicians. We know that there are industry groups that get funded to try to shape policies and legislation. Uh, we know that some of it is happening undercover, but we have this sense that somebody somewhere is regulating it all, that there are rules around it. Now, what if we had a lobby group that was circumventing all of those rules, that was going in through the back door into government departments and into hundreds of private organisations in Australia and quietly, without talking to anyone, without getting consent from the majority of people, quietly doing backroom deals and shaping policies and doing it in such a way that companies and organisations are competing with each other to comply with that lobby group's agenda. I don't think it's okay. <laughs> Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, the podcast you deserve. My name is Ricky Orpike and joining me once again is someone who loves to bring their whole self to work and that is Mr. Jonathan Astro. Yeah, Ricky, good. Um, I do like to bring my whole self. Uh, I see there being no problem about us spending the first 90 minutes of the day talking about my kinks and my sexual perversions. Uh, and that is probably, uh, that makes me a modern man, I would have thought. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, can you believe we're talking about trans issues again on this show? Uh, trans issues. Um, yeah, it's come up. It's come up a bit. So yeah, I, Just I, can, I can believe it. Okay. But today we are talking to Kikowski, uh, uh, who's done an enormous amount of research, so you don't have to, about a organization called ACON, which you should know about, and you will know about after this podcast. That's it, Ricky. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> Kit Kowalski is a writer and mother who describes herself as an adult human Sheila. I should probably explain Sheila to our American audience. It just means a woman, all right? Kit has uh, devoted considerable time and effort on her blog and YouTube channel to exploring the inner workings of ACON, also known as the AIDS Council of New South Wales, which we're going to talk about today, and their influence on organisations in Australia, such as the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, our ABC. We're delighted to have her on the show to take a deep dive into ACON and other surrounding issues. Kit, welcome to the New Flesh. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a very exciting time. Well, it's, I, you know, I think it's fair to say we're platforming you. Isn't that, don't you like that when people say, I'm platforming you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't want to get into any uh, <laughs> platforming, yeah, no platforming. Fair enough, fair enough. yeah. Well, uh, women's um, rights campaigner Kelly J. Keane was in Australia recently on her Let Women Speak tour. Now, I was there for the Melbourne leg and, John, uh, you caught the Sydney version. Uh, did you happen to attend any of these rallies and, and, and what did you make of the way they were covered in the ma mainstream media? Uh, I actually wasn't able to attend uh, because I had a child's birthday party on uh, at the same time. Uh, so... But I, I obviously had a lot of friends who were going along and um, the Sydney one especially, they described it as very peaceful and they were their biggest complaint was being out in the sun too long. It was hot. And uh, the police had positioned all the trans activists in the shade. <laughs> uh. um, yeah, so the way that they were covered in the mainstream media is, oh, like it's to be expected, uh, but it was abysmal. Um, we've got women who are standing up and talking about their rights and the Melbourne one in particular, it was crashed by a bunch of neo-Nazis 
who um, I was listening to one of them uh, talk about the protest uh, last night on an interview that he gave. And uh, he actually said, oh, uh, we were there to protest the trans activists and oh, I think there were some TERFs there. We, we didn't really take notice of them. <laughs> <laughs> we really are in our own silos, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And the mainstream media essentially has said, oh, well, you know, this is a far-right protest, the far-right are anti-trans, and uh, therefore any of the women who are speaking up about their rights. Uh, and we've got, you know, lesbians, we've got domestic abuse survivors, we've got mothers, um, we've got teachers, and uh, they've all been tarred with this far-right brush. It's, um, and the, the media are only interviewing the, the trans activist side. Yeah. Well, well, just to give our listeners a sense of what the Melbourne rally was like, you know, the, the, the counter-protesters were, were obviously off the chain. They exhibited awful and un, unhinged behaviour, including throwing faeces-infused water around, yelling the usual slurs and swearing, as well as making a serious push against the police. Police. And I don't know if this made the media, but one protester actually infiltrated the inner circle of speakers and knocked a middle-aged woman down to take hold of the mic and scream pro-trans propaganda. Um, and then, as you say, the, the right-wing neo-Nazis turned up, uh, complete with their salutes, uh, which were in no way connected with, with Kelly J's event. Um, but yeah, as you can imagine, the media have, have tentatively linked the two as having, um, you know, as, as, as being linked mm. together, you know, these dumb neo-Nazis with, with, uh, with Kelly J's event here. Um, are you surprised at all that Melbourne got so out of hand? Not at all. I mean, Melbourne has always been a very sort of politically active and very, um, you know, street-based action uh, a city. Mm. Um, like it's, I was remarking that it's there's no um, no coincidence that the Royal Commission into the Building Industry focused on Melbourne. Um, it's just the kind of city that it is. Whereas in Sydney, um, you know, we really don't go out for anything unless we're being charged one hundred and fifty dollars for a ticket. And we're going to have a really good time. Fireworks. <laughs> you know, we've got fire, we need fireworks. Yeah. Uh, but in Melbourne, there are, it seems like they just have a, a surfeit of these bored men who go to the gym a little bit too often and uh, then they want to go and show off their muscles to someone. <laughs> well, you know, we'll move off Kelly J in just a second. But, but uh, I just think it's interesting because, the, as, as you mentioned, the, the, the focus from the media seems to be all on these 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 uh, supposedly uh, supposed neo Nazis and um, uh, uh, now the possible expulsion of, of a liberal uh, MP uh, Moira Deeming uh, for attend just attending the rally. Um, uh, Ricky, you were there too, so maybe I should expel you from this podcast. But that's <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But but what I haven't seen in any of the packages uh, are the words of the women who got up to speak. You, you know, do you, do you think that there'll be a tipping point where the attempts to shut down this kind of debate will, will sort of fail? There has to be. And I think the question is when we reach that tipping point. Uh, so um, I think the genius of having Kelly Jake Akeen in Australia is that she doesn't really care who she upsets, but she gets people talking. And in Australia, that meant pushing it to quite a catastrophic point where we had neo-Nazis turn up. We have an, an MP who's going to be expelled from her party. We had all sorts of like chaotic events happening, but that it is being reported in the press now. 
um, I think it's going to take a little bit more to actually get to a stage where we get to listen to to what those women have to say. And it's going to be a lot of courage inside those newsrooms. Well, we are going to spend a, a bit of time today talking about ACON. And um, no doubt you get this question a lot. Why ACON? Uh, I, I'm just, I, th- I think of my sister here, uh, who's not all, at all aware or, or, or involved in the culture wars at all. And um, she would say, "Why am I listening to this? Why are you? Why? In yeah. fact, when I recount all of this to her uh, uh, at, at some point, she's going to say, why, why are you speaking these words to me? Um, so perhaps you can explain to people like my sister uh, why they should be paying attention.' Yeah, actually, when you when you sort of step back a little bit, um, there are a couple of different ways uh, to view the research that I've been doing, and. One of those ways would be that I'm some sort of crazy tinfoil hat wearing homophobe who, you know, hates people getting assistance uh, with HIV. That can't really be further from the truth. Um, I grew up in a very, um, what we call, you know, liberal household. Um, and, you know, I, I won't go too much into my background, but uh, suffice it to say that I'm not coming from a place of, of, of you know, homophobia at all. Um, but I suppose what I would say to your sister is that in Australia, we do pride ourselves on uh, living in a functional democracy and we have voices that we don't want to hear, but we do hear them anyway. (laughs) And we know that there are lobby groups that go and meet with politicians. We know that there are industry groups that get funded to try to shape policies and legislation and Uh, We know that some of it is happening undercover, but we have this sense that somebody somewhere is regulating it all, that there are rules around it. Now, what if we had a lobby group that was circumventing all of those rules, that was going in through the back door into government departments and into hundreds of private organisations in Australia and quietly, without talking to anyone without getting consent from the majority of people, quietly doing backroom deals and shaping policies and doing it in such a way that companies and organisations are competing with each other to comply with that lobby group's agenda. I don't think it's okay. (laughs) Um, I I think that lobbying does exist in Australia and it should be above board. It should be regulated and there should be rules around it. And that if we have groups, we have interest groups that are going into government departments that are shaping policies and they're shaping the culture of these departments and they're shaping literally the thoughts of the public servants who are interpreting our legislation, then they should be accountable for that. And on one of your slides, uh, on, on, on one of your videos, you've got this great summary of these why questions, which I think are, are, you know, which are fascinating because these are the things you're not allowed to ask. Why doesn't the ABC report on the negative side of gender ID? Why doesn't the SBS? Why do they keep platforming Jordan Rascoe, which is a comedian and a performer? Um, why didn't the AHRC support Sal Grover, another one of our guests? Who wrote the Trans Inclusion Sport Guidelines? Why does Department of Defence fully fund sex, sex reassignment surgery? Why do Coles and Woolies offer transition leave that covers getting a new haircut? 
why can't the LWHS say breastfeeding on on Facebook? Why are men in women's prisons? And we go on and on. So I think I, I love these questions because it seems that today um, asking questions about why is something that um, you're not allowed to do. 100%. And, uh, you know, I came across somebody uh, putting forward the Voltaire quote today, the, if you want to know who rules you, find out who you're not allowed to question. And at this point, it's literally the trans lobby. Um, there was, uh, I also had something come across my feed um, that uh, 2010, which it used to be uh, sort of a halfway house service for, um, for gay youth, um, they, put, they put out a little tile saying that trans people are a gift that we should be thankful for. Now, I'm thankful for everyone in my life, but no one in particular, just because they're transgender. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't, I, I try to look at, you know, a whole person. Whereas I think treating these people as though they are a special elevated class of person that have some knowledge that we don't have, that's literally describing a new priest class. And, and frankly, I'm not interested in that religion and I'm not interested in that religion um, controlling my workplace or the government. Well, let's turn our attention now to ACON. Uh, I want to cover a few basic things first. Uh, can you tell us what is ACON and what do they do? So ACON are the AIDS Council of New South Wales. Uh, each state and territory has an AIDS council or an AIDS organisation, and they're federated together under a body called the Australian Federation of AIDS Organisations. And that also includes a sex worker advocacy and um, injecting drug user advocacy because they're all concerned with people who are vulnerable to getting HIV and AIDS. Uh, at the last figures that I have uh, published by that body, AFAO, show that our national infection rates for HIV are sitting at less than 1,000 per year, which, so it's, you know, AIDS is still a problem. And the biggest uh, demographic that are at risk are people who are coming in from overseas. So. A lot of that AIDS prevention work is focused on uh, reaching and it's focused on education, you know, test, take prep, um, you know, that's pretty much it these days. They don't talk about condoms anymore. Um, so a lot of what, what ACON actually does is focused around community building, so reducing the stigma of people who are, either are HIV positive um, reducing the stigma around testing and um, the stigma around talking around it about about um, uh, STIs. They also do a lot of education. And um, in 2008, they started up a project called Pride in Diversity to, and their original mission in Pride in Diversity was to bring this community building and this stigma reduction into Australian workplaces. So kind of like make it okay to be gay in the workplace. And by all accounts, they did get a lot of doors slammed in their faces. They were, um, you know, people were like, Why don't we, we don't want to talk about this stuff at work, you know, leave it at home. It's not really appropriate. Um, so it was a, like, if you remember back to 2008, I'm not sure if it was that much of a different time 
but we definitely didn't talk about sex in the workplace as much as we do today. We lead sure. with it now. You, you say, mm. you say, uh, last night, uh, oh, you should have seen what I got up to last night. And then the person <laughs> says you got the job. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to t- I'll have to try that in my next interview. It'll work. It'll work. <laughs> but but I was going to say you mentioned um, AIDS. I think before we move off AIDS, look, I'm not going to say we beat AIDS, but I think it's fair to say you know, well, coming from some of the lobby groups, there's been this idea that it's not a death sentence. That's been a very successful campaign. This idea it's not a death because I remember there being storylines in a very old program called ER where someone would get. AIDS, and then it would be, you know, it would take over the whole their whole narrative arc. Whereas now, as you say, there's things a lot we can do. So the fact that AIDS is still in their name, Acon's name, and they've they've had this pivot, dare I say, um, but sort of hidden the the word AIDS away the way KFC hides the word fried. Um, are, are we try, Are they trying to avoid anyone saying, you know, what do we need you guys for? I- Am I being too it's harsh? a fair bet. It's a fair bet that that's what they're doing. Like they're rebranded, um, <laughs> because now, of course, if you look at their annual report, um, they their mission is still really about HIV/AIDS, gay men, other groups of men who have gay sex with men. But then, when they all the activities that they're doing, they're very much community building, trans uh, positive. Um, trans promotion and promoting the pride and diversity piece that's their big growth area it's just weird because gay men are i would argue from their point of view um straight adjacent i would say that that (laughs) that, you know what i mean that gay men are uh would should be at the end of that long alphabet uh soup really i would have thought well they don't even have to put the toilet seat down i mean (laughs) i know that's a privilege in itself (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> now, is, is ACON only a New South Wales organisation or, or do they have plans to expand to other, other Australian states? Do, do they have any sort of national role? Well, this is where we get to the many faces of ACON. So ACON is a New South Wales organisation, but their reach is national. So uh, their Pride and Diversity Program, it, it is a national program and uh, any organisation from... Um, from across the country can join and so they do they have they have government agencies um in other from other states they have national government agencies and they have private companies who are operating all over australia and even even globally who are members mm. and, and and how are they funded huh. so acon gets a lot of money from new south wales health uh, so, and this is essentially for health programs and for HIV AIDS prevention. They get roughly $13, 14000000 million a year. And then they get another $4 million or so from other government. So they just have a big bucket that they report as other government. Um, so that's sort of $16, 17000000 million from the government going into ACON. But then they also yield... 4 million from goods and services. Now, I believe a huge chunk of that is coming from membership fees and training revenue paid by these Pride and Diversity members, many of whom are government agencies or local councils or even not-for-profits or sporting organisations. And they get consultancy as well. So they do 
membership, training, consultancy, and I think a large chunk of that $4 million comes from there. So they're getting, their budget is $21 million a year. Yeah, well, you've done extensive investigative work to piece together how ACON is funded, what organisations are involved uh, in their scheme and what their organisational structure is. Can you give us an insight into into how you've done this research and and whether you've had any pushback to it? Uh, Yeah, so so a lot of the research that I do is uh, publicly available materials. So just combing through annual reports, combing through archived versions of their website, downloading their documents and reading them. And um, then uh, there... uh, then there was a large chunk of the research that was uh, based on documents obtained under freedom of information requests. So that started uh, some time ago, um, probably middle of 2021, where there was a, I got pulled into a big group of people, maybe 20 people, and we were like, right, we're going to FOI all, all of the government agencies that uh, have participated in ACON's annual AWEI, that's the Australian Workplace Equality Index Benchmarking Scheme. And so everyone sent off all these FOIs and then some of them came back, some of them didn't, and they were just sitting in a big pile. And I was sort of the chump who sat down and read them all (laughs) (laughs) and started to try to piece it all together. And I've got to to come clean here. I I was sceptical. I was really sceptical that I'd find anything I thought it was a bit paranoid. <laughs> so, um, you know, I thought, look, I've, I've been involved in benchmarking schemes before uh, through my through various employers, and they're fairly run-of-the-mill these, these days. It's a way for companies to outsource um, their their integrity in a way. So, you know, we, we're not really experts on including women. We're not really experts on, like, racial harmony. Okay, we'll get a benchmarking index and then they'll give us the tick and we'll be able to say, yes, we're not racist, we're not sexist, we're not homophobic. Good on us. Um, but then re- actually reading through the questions, um, there were so many red flags that came up. And when I started adding up all of the available points and putting them into sections and sort of which buckets got more points than others, um, it became really clear that ACON's agenda isn't to help agencies mature in their LGBTQ acceptance. There was something else going on there. Well, you, you mentioned the word expertise, and I would like to know how one becomes an expert in LGBTQ sexuality and gender because you know for instance like i mean is there a course that you have to take or uh you know can i become an expert in heterosexuality i i think it's a little bit like your pronouns or your gender identity uh you just you feel it deeply inside you and uh you declare it so it's a lived experience thing (laughs) isn't it 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 seems to be so if we look at uh pride and diversity that was founded by a woman called dawn emson hoff and she seems to be uh, kind of have some so a bit of a research background, and it was modelled off the Stonewall Diversity Champion Scheme in the UK. But then everybody else who's involved in that Pride and Diversity Scheme, uh, all of the relationship managers, the reason that they are on board is because they started a Pride network in their organisation, and then they were recruited into Pride and Diversity. 
that's the thing that they all have in common is that they're all very charming, likeable, persuasive people who know how to network and who know how to push the buttons. Very few of them are experts in health, equality, employment law, gender. They're literally all people who are able to organize other people. I'm just, I'm fascinated at this point because, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about obviously in, in this space and I'm, I'm interested in uh, what level of ideologue I'm dealing with when, when it comes to these sorts of outfits. And I wanted to know whether, you know, how close to a, a round table of, of bad guys is it? Or is it just the Australian version, which is we copied and pasted some stuff from Stonewall, like, you know, we're not ideologues. We sort of agree. We sort of believe in high status um, ideas, which at the moment are these things. And to be honest, I just like nice things. And yeah, we like a nice little club. So I, I just wanted to get your sense of, you know, who actually is in these rooms. Yeah. Uh, not that you have a crystal question. ball or that you're no. <laughs> you're godlike but but because because when we talk about it from the outside here i honestly picture that the round table of and i'm trying not to do that i'm trying to go okay no it's clearly this is this is normal people i probably run into them and they just think they work in they've got another word for it is what they do they, they wouldn't say i'm an ideologue i work at um <laughs> Akon and you know we're, we're into grooming <laughs> you know, they wouldn't say all of that <laughs> they'd say I'm in development or something or you know. um well I'd say it's a it, it is a mixed bag like they're they're not a monolith but they they really are true believers and um so I had the um I don't, I don't know if it was a I, I won't call it a pleasure um but I had the experience of uh, watching a recording of some of their training videos. So to set the scene, this is their LGBTQ train the trainer. So they're training people who are gonna go back into their workplaces and deliver the training. So it's a one hour training and they take uh, seven working days to break it all down and to make sure everyone's on board with the message. Now in the session I, I watched, there was actually four new starters to ACON who were who were there and they were receiving the message at the same time. So it was really interesting to see them when they st- stood outside or stepped outside of like the narrative, how they were pulled back into the narrative. And um, yeah, I would say that they are absolutely true believers and you have the lead trainer, Nikki Elkin, um, she doesn't enjoy people disagreeing with her. I've seen footage of her mocking women who um, would like to have single sex spaces. Uh, she thinks that anyone who isn't fully on board with the LGBTQ agenda or narrative is some ill-educated ocker um, moron from the sticks. She can't imagine that anyone would disagree with what she's doing. And I suppose that's the most charitable way to say it is that they honestly can't imagine that they're doing the wrong thing. Is it too far to say it's, it's cult-like? One of the interesting things about the ACON Pride and Diversity Relationship Managers and Trainers is they're there to set the tone and they're there to lead organisations in how to interpret like 
ACONS requests for certain um, for certain activities in the Australian Workplace Equality Index. Now, most of them have some sort of skin in the game, right? So they're either like gay or lesbian, um, or they're transgender. So there are a couple of trans women and, or they have trans siblings or trans family. So they're absolutely all on board with this protect trans lives mantra. There are two women in particular, um, Ellie Watts and Nikki Elkin, who were, um, I think Ellie Watts is possibly, I'm not sure what her claim to the LGBTQ is, but um, Nikki Elkin was a lesbian. And through their work at Acon Pride and Diversity, they, they discovered that they were really non-binary. So through going through this process and actually participating in all of these activities of promoting non-binaryism, they have now taken on a non-binary identity. So yes, I would say there was a strong element of influence there. In this, this Pride and Diversity uh, uh, scheme, this is, this is pay for play. You, you, you pay for this, right? And, and, it, and it's, I th- if the numbers are what, six thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars annually is that right yeah so there's two different ways you can participate you can be a member and that is six thousand dollars and then you don't really need to do anything else you can be a i think they're still calling it a principal member which is ten thousand dollars you get exactly the same thing and you don't have to do anything else and then there is the australian workplace equality index which you don't have to pay for directly and you don't have to be a member for, but it helps if you are. Um, and that is where you don't actually give any money to ACON necessarily, but it costs you a lot in terms of time and effort and resources. I understand that the Australian Workplace Equity Index involves gaining points and doing things to get points. Do you get points for also being uh, a contributor to the Pride and Diversity arm? Uh, so they're really clever the way that they do it, actually. So they make everything very, very optional. Um, but there is, there are two uh, opportunities for an organisation to declare that they are using Pride and Diversity Services. And one is that you get two points for engaging external LGBTQ expertise. And if you're a member of Pride and Diversity, you can just tick the box, no questions asked. If you're not a member, you have to write down who it is and they have to be accredited with Pride and Diversity. So... They're happy to create the market if they're controlling the market. And then the other one is training as well. So you have to buy some sort of training, um, LGBTQ training for your staff. And again, you can have the Pride and Diversity or you can have another provider as long as they're accredited. So so, so ACON is, is a charity, but it has this advocacy lobbying offshoot to their structure. Are, are there any calls to break this up into two organisations? Because I, I, I can't really see see the link between AIDS awareness and prevention and say the drag queen story hour type programs that are appearing on on ABC Kids TV is is anyone other than you questioning this well they would probably say that that uh, they would probably deny that there is a link between uh, hate, well they would probably say exactly the same thing if questioned so um, what Acon, Acon doesn't say to ABC, oh, look, you should have a program about Drag Queen Story Hour and make it really positive. They say, um, you'll get points if you 
have positive representations of LGBTQ in the media. Now, ABC is the media, so that's convenient. Um, or if you, as an employer, do ex extra additional things to promote LGBTQ in your workplace and to the broader community. And so ABC is a national employer, it is the media, and it basically reflects the Australian community. So that's very convenient to them. They do these things seemingly off their own bat and with the advice of a relationship manager. So on paper, ACON just provides the opportunity for ABC to get a point by doing something positive. So they would absolutely deny that they're asking the ABC to promote Drag Queen Story Hour. But but they do they do reward it though with points. <laughs> they do. Yeah. They do, 100%. Right. This, is, this is like yeah. something you do for your kids, though. This is a, a points board. It's saying, you know, finish your vegetables, you get a point. Listen to this drag queen moan on about transitioning, you get four points. <laughs> <laughs> I know I was conflating well, a bit there, but, you know, <laughs> isn't it like that? I, I, don't, I don't want to go for dinner in your, play, your house. <laughs> Bigotry is alive and well on this podcast. <laughs> can you can you give us a sense of what what a point is worth in Acon scheme? For instance, like what what is having a trans flag in your shop front worth in terms? What can of I points? get? You want to know what can, what can I, I get? get? What can oh, I get out of this? Look, you know? I would probably um, I I would probably award you one point for that as additional work. What if it was a really big flag? No, it doesn't it doesn't work like that. Um, so, <laughs> so I have, um, I, I, there, there are specific questions and there's guidance about each of the specific questions and they want you to meet very strict criteria. Now, um, so it's funny, they actually call this an evidence-based activity. So usually when something's evidence-based, it means there's evidence that backs up me asking you to do this and evidence that it works. Whereas in their case, they actually mean they ask you for evidence that you did it. Um, so if you put a big pride flag in your shop, I might give you one point for that. Um, so one of my favourite examples is um, the CEO or equivalent at a speaking event. Okay. Most people would say, oh, well, you know, that's what the CEO goes out, spends half an hour giving a speech. That's worth the two points, right? But if you work in a government agency or if you work in a multinational like corporation, first of all, you have a team of people who evaluate the opportunity, right? Should we do it? Should we not? Then you have a team of people who talk about the themes and where does LGBTQ align with our mission and our, you know, and our values and where can we contribute? And then you have senior speechwriters who sit down and they write the talk for the CEO. Then you have the CEO who takes time out to learn the speech and then to actually go and deliver it and answer questions. And, and then you have to deal with any media, hopefully positive, possibly negative. Maybe the CEO said something that was didn't actually please the LGBTQ community and there's something negative has come out of it. So you think about the time and the effort and the money and the resources from the government that are being diverted to win that two points out of 200. Um, so points are not worth very much. So so that just to clarify, that's worth two points, is it? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, the Australian Taxation Office, uh, 
they usually they have a like an annual practice of providing pro bono or financial support to LGBTQ charities slash organizations with two points. What they do is every year they give $11,000 to sponsor the AWEI Awards Gala and they get two points for that. Now, $11,000, like in the scheme of things, it's not a, a lot of money in their operating budget, but why do they get it and not, why not the RSPCA? <laughs> why not Greenpeace? Why not anyone else? Why is this just earmarked? for this particular awards dinner. It's not even preventing HIV. It's literally buying canapes that they then, they also buy tickets to attend the same awards dinner for people to eat the canapes that they've already purchased by sponsoring the dinner. This reminds me a little bit of like of time zone when you were a kid and you'd play these games for ages just to get these little tickets that come out, but you'd need a million of them just to get some dumb toy from, from the shop. You know, it's, uh, it's, wow, it's a it's lot amazing. like that. So ABC, for example, um, in 2022, they scored a gold ranking with 177 points. They did a, a lot more they work. they get with that one. Yeah, oh, well, <laughs> <love tickets. laughs> they did a lot more work than they did the previous year, 2021, when they scored a gold ranking for 177 points. Is, is ABC, are they leading the way? Do they have the most points? Uh, they are pretty, pretty high up there. SBS have been going at it longer and they kind of have it down pat. So they've, I think they've got probably their neck and neck maybe. Um, yeah, so... I mean, if you, if if they if those two outfits can't get top marks in this field, they are working overtime. They like I'm sure they are thinking about this all the time. If they can't smash it, who can? Well, the ABC have um, they they have a department called ABC Queer, and they have a literal department that is dedicated to pumping out queer focused content for the queer community. But the penalties are so great, so and and which I'm sure you're going to get to, which is it. It just seems. I, uh, on one hand, I'm so impressed by by the pluck of these people to come up with with this sort of mechanic they've created, where they're in charge of that. They create the marketplace, they're in charge of it, create a point system. But the but the uh, the apportioning of the points, or, or the or the or the breakdown of the points in terms of what you have to give and what you have to get, is a little a little silly. You know what I mean? Like, like we've already talked about it, but if you can get Gillian McLaughlin to come down as the head of the AFL, our, our national sport here in Australia for our overseas uh, listeners, if you can get you know the head of that uh, outfit to talk, that should be worth a lot, you know. And a flag in your window, yes, should be worth one one point, you know. So I don't understand. I I, I I'm so confused. And um, perhaps you can talk about the penalties because if you if you have a misstep, like for if you're, uh, you know, with the, the with the rugby, if your team, someone in your team says, "I'm not going to wear the, the 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 pride jumper," and then you go, "Oh, oh this is terrible," and then you're going to you would lose quite a lot of points for that, right? Uh, yeah. So in the Australian Workplace Equality Index, the very first question—it's not even a question; it's just the first thing that you have to um, declare—is. Uh, you have to give details of any negative media coverage on LGBTQ issues that involved your organisation in the past 12 months. And the penalty is up to 25 points. 
so um, to, to give this, put this in perspective, um, so we have, uh, you have total available points is 200. And in 2022, you had to get 174 to get gold ranking and 155 to get silver, 107 to get bronze. So, and below that, you're just a participant. So if you're, even if you're at 200, which no one is going to reach 200, um, and you lose 25 points, then you've lost, you know, yeah, you're, you're on the way to sort of a second ranking. Um, wow. It's, it's catastrophic. And when you're looking at organisations who literally are the media, so we're talking about Channel 10, SBS and ABC specifically, uh, it's in their interest to downplay any stories that might be negative, uh, that might have a negative connotation on the LGBTQ um, umbrella. Like it's in their interest to overcompensate by having all these positive stories. And by the way, ACON doesn't add it all up and say, oh, but you had a lot of really positive stories and a lot of, you know, and one really negative story, so we'll, we'll make it even. No, they will take those points off you if you have one misstep. Wow. And, and that accrues? So if you, if you have two missteps, that's 50? Uh, I'm not sure. Nobody has actually reported one that I have seen. So... Um... <laughs> Well, some of the things that ACON are encouraging organisations to do seems pretty niche. And one that stood out to me was that they advocate for gender affirmation leave, which is paid leave outside of sick leave, annual leave and maternity leave. So uh, if you come out as non-binary, gender fluid, trans, bisexual, or any other of the increasing number of gender identities, you get time off work. And I'm not sure how that really works when you're gender fluid, but guess you could come you could get multiple time off i don't know can, can you give us an insight into some of the ideas that that uh that they're pushing on on workplaces uh yeah absolutely so yeah gender affirmation leave um is one of the things that they they say that you should have as a standard essentially like it should just be a standard kind of leave like parental leave or um you know having sick days and but then we bring in this idea that you shouldn't gatekeep people's identities. So that means that usually, so if I were to, you know, have a baby, for example, I would present a medical certificate to my workplace and I'd say, I'm pregnant, my due date is this, I'm gonna need some leave. I would I would evidence that. If I broke my leg, I would evidence that to my workplace. And they would want to know that I was genuinely sick or unable to attend work. Um, but if we bring in this idea of not gatekeeping identities, then um, a, lot of, a lot of these organisations, they're choosing to interpret this request in a really, really expansive way. And so the most, the most common thing that I'm seeing is you get 10 days leave, you can use it for whatever you want, you can break it up, you don't have to take it in one go like you would, say, um, say maternity leave, for example, and you don't have to evidence the reasons why you're away we're not going to gatekeep that so we're not going to ask you if it's for surgery we're not going to ask you if it's for getting a haircut you can use it to get a haircut because that's part of your identity expression and they train organizations that your identity expression is just as important as any other part of your your sexual being or your identity so don't um, <laughs> don't they have to remove the this idea of evidence 
for a couple of reasons. One would be just biological reality. So, you, you know, you might not be able to biologically prove a certain thing, you know what I mean? Like I can't biologically prove to you that I'm a, I'm, I'm a woman, in fact, although I do expect that you'll, you will respect my choices. Um, and the, the, the second thing is if you did have to provide evidence, then what are you going to do? You're going to go in there and say it, it's going to open up the all the the bad old things i'm going to go in and say anyway i really like barbara streisand here's this vinyl record i bought i love these glittery shoes they're good too um and then i am going into like i like to wear this kind of lipstick i uh, we're going into into this sort of grotesque performance of 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 um uh of gender you know or, or at least going down that route so isn't it in their interest to get that off the table we need to go okay well that's not going to work we just need no what we want is no questions yeah a hundred percent and uh if we look at some of their training courses it's one of the things that they really drill into people is that your identity is paramount you mustn't question someone on their identity what their identity means to them is what it means to them and it's none of anyone else's business um but, you know, could you imagine working in HR these days and someone comes to you and says, oh, well, I want some time off to go shopping and get a haircut. And your policy actually says, yes, you have to let them. And also you have to give them a bonus to go shopping. And that is something I, ha- I have seen in some of the, the private companies that the, is that they give a wardrobe bonus when you transition gender as well. So, like, if you have an amputation, do you get a wardrobe bonus? to get, you know, like clothes that fit you now. No, you don't. You don't. This is all dealt with in other ways in Australia. Um, I've sort of heard you talk about this, uh, I think, on Sal Grover's Giggle podcast. You guys had a great discussion about uh, about this topic. We'd encourage everyone to listen to that episode. Um, and, and I think Sal was talking about... Um, people running being entrepreneurs and running businesses and the sort of the, the the business realities of having to hire and manage people you know using these sorts of things i mean my first thought when all of this is coming up if i've got someone who knows all of this stuff is across all of this and is coming in and saying anyway just want to check out your policy about gender affirmation you know for no other reason I would be thinking a, a giant neon sign above their head would be would be going blinking and it would say high maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, this is one of the reasons that a lot of organisations do join Pride and Diversity, so they can put a badge on their website that says we're an LGBTQ friendly employer, and that's really what you pay that six thousand dollars for is to put the badge on your website that says, you know, if you're LGBTQ, you're welcome here, right? Um, whereas, like, you know, you're, you're struggling mum and pop shop. It, it's sort of that millennium uh, syndrome, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't want to work. I've got no experience. I just want to go straight to the CEO role. Oh, and by the way, where's my gender transition? <laughs> <laughs> that is something our generation would ask for, definitely. But, but that badge they receive... How, I mean, what, what what difference does that make to that particular organisational business? I mean, is, is that quantifiable? Can can people see that you know before the business we made this much, after we got the symbol, we got the badge, we put it on a website, we made this much. We sold like, this many, uh, uh, you know, uh, cab- <laughs> chocolate bars, yeah. and now we've sold this many chocolate bars because of the gay stuff. 
or whatever. I, I, I tell you what, like it's only going to cost you because <laughs> you, yeah. it's you are not going to increase productivity uh, using using this badge, and no one ever claims it. It's under the umbrella of those ethereal employee well-being um, claims. And it goes along with a cultural shift in, in HR more generally. So these days we talk a lot more about employee welfare and well-being and, you know, everybody being on, on the team or part of the family or pulling together and we're all going out to paintball. Bringing their whole self to work. <laughs> yes. We're bringing our whole self to work. You know, we're, we're bringing our dogs to work now. Um, sorry, I'm not a dog person. Um, <laughs> but but what, what if I'm Charles Manson and I want to bring my whole self to work? You know what I mean? Like... Uh, is that under the LGBTQ umbrella? <laughs> yeah, I don't, um, that, I don't know if that's under kids' uh, if, expertise. If we could make but, it into yeah. a kink, uh, it's probably yes. okay. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that is true, though. That's the, like now. But, but this is interesting, okay, because we're talking about a shift that's happened at the work at the work at workplaces where, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about your kinks. Let's talk about. Let's go into a lot of detail, and let's and and um, uh, you should be telling me about um what you did sexually last night, and about who with and how and everything. Whereas, I I, I just I'm just so confused. I thought, you know, I would prefer, and I don't know what everyone else. You tell me what you guys think. I just want to go to work. I want to do the work. And I definitely don't want to hang out with you. I definitely don't want to do that. You know what I mean? Like, if we're friends, yeah, I'll be friends with, like, one of you because you're, you're a great person or whatever. But the rest of them, they can go to hell. And I, I, and I don't want to do anything fun. I don't want to talk about anything fun. And let's, get, and let's do the work 100%. And stop uh, interrupting me, please, as well. So you you're, not, you're not bringing in a birthday cake? De- I don't care if it's Ryan's birthday. I, I, don't, I don't want him to have a cake. Let's not do it. Let's get back to work. Let's go. I'm probably on the middle ground. I quite like the cake, um, but I have worked in places where, like, there's cake like every week, and it's it just it gets ridiculous. Like, can we just stop downing tools to go and eat cake? <laughs> <laughs> I have deliverables. <laughs> but it, it it seems when you scratch the surface of of Acon, you, you see that that this is just one big financial feedback loop. Uh, you know, Acon outlines the standards of their workplace equity uh, index and organizations that are signed up have to, you know, try and meet those standards. And many of the ways they can earn points in the scheme involve throwing money at LGBT consultants, diversity training, workplace seminars, and and recognizing all of these special queer days like World Pride Day, you know, as well as donating to, to queer charities. And, and, you know, on top of all that, they're encouraged to employ more and more trans and queer staff. I've, I've got Two questions on this. Are there aspects of this business model that are illegal or at least unethical? And are organisations aware of this huge financial grift going on? I think I have to disappointingly say uh, I can't comment very well on either of those. Um, whether it's illegal, I'm not in a position to, to say one way or the other. But I will say that the way that it's all phrased is very artful so Acon never says you have to give us money in order to win these points they say you have to give somebody some support <laughs> and then I imagine that's where the relationship manager comes in and sort of says well okay what you need to do is you need to go and buy a marquee a world pride day and that's going to cost you I'm not sure how much it costs you um 
say uh, one one example I will give is Attorney General's Department sponsored a session at Queer Screen, Queer Screen Australia. Now, Attorney General's Department is in Canberra. Queer Screen was taking place in Sydney. They sponsored a session um, and it costs $4,000 and they got their two points for that. So um, they had to... And I think what actually happens is that it creates a little bit of a like a scarcity in the LGBTQ consultancy arena. So you have all these really small organisations like Agenda Agenda, like Trans um, Trans Folk WA, uh, Transgender Victoria, and it creates work for them. And so, you know, it's quite cronyistic in a way. Yeah. Uh, and are organisations aware of it? No. No, I would say that very few people who work in the organisations where this is where this has taken hold are aware of exactly what is going on. Um, it's all done very quietly, and I, I would say very few people are are aware of the implications. So all down the streets of inner city Sydney uh, recently, there are pride and trans flags, and, and uh, I only just moved to Sydney, so I was quite shocked. I've come from a place where a very woke place in Melbourne, but still, I, I, I didn't, I wasn't quite prepared for, for the way they went hard uh, here at World Pride. Uh, and I saw for the first time Acon branded flags all the way down, must have been in King's Cross. Uh, so many of them, huge, and they said from Acon with love or something. Uh, and um, uh, we've talked about these ever increasing workplace schemes and diversity training sessions, uh, uh, days of celebration. Is it fair to say that there's some sort of queer? economy uh, going on and, 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 and how, just how profitable do you think it is? There's definitely a queer economy. <laughs> uh, so if you look at, um, it, and, and it's all to do with like the commodification of identity and these outward symbols of identity. So uh, one example I have from ABC is that they bought some rainbow lanyards and mouse mats and whatever to give to their staff. So they paid money to get uh, some merchandise printed up and uh, they also added in in their submission that they got them from a a queer friendly supplier right so it's not enough to just get the rainbow printed onto something it's got to be authentically it to be like, made by a, yes. by someone in the community someone <laughs> queer, <laughs> a queer artisan queer i'm like was this um, made by was this even made by a queer person or what <laughs> Well, and that, that's the thing. Maybe there's uh, maybe those people had to be accredited uh, that they have genuine queer people working in their because sweatshops to be frank, or something. Some, no, but some know. of this stuff would probably be more appropriate. It would probably on the back would probably it would say made by Chinese people or Uyghurs or people with nothing in Foxconn in some sweatshop is where it was made and where it was cynically uh, conceived of is um some place in Paddington. Well, that's where we stop at queer owned businesses because we don't want to look too hard at, you know, what's actually going on underneath like all those labor practices and all that exploitation and the environmental impact of buying all of this rainbow, uh, tiki tack. Yeah. <laughs> this, 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 this show bag nonsense. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, where are all those flags going to go at the end of, um, at, at I, I hope to Pride? a queer landfill. Somewhere. <laughs> Maybe they go to queer landfill. orphanages. I'm not sure. Like <laughs> they're, they're they're helping, um, yeah, distressed queer orphans or maybe queer puppies. 
Uh, yeah, I, de- definitely. So it's again like it's commodification, but it's also like the search for authenticity and identity. So it's not enough just to buy. We have to buy in an authentic way of someone who is authentic and um, and who you know has a genuine like queer identity. And yeah, if you can come along like these these little groups do, and you can capitalize on that, and you can say, well, we're the keepers of the queer. We're the ones who know we can get your genuine trans um, merchandise or this merchandise was made by a genuine trans artisan, therefore it's better than any other objectively better merchandise, then, yeah, that's exactly what Acon is trying to create here. Well, I'm, I'm fascinated by the people who conceive of this. Uh, you're very data-driven, which is, is, is why we love our conversation today and we love your work, but do you think you could shed some light on the types of people that conceived of this scheme. I, I want to understand the human face of this. Like, you know, who, who was at the meeting? Who made the Excel spreadsheets? Where did they go to university? Do, do, you, do you have any knowledge of this? Because the, the spreadsheets are quite something that you've, you've shown these, just the, the, the thing that outlays the points. I'm like, this yeah. must have taken a long time. So Acon Pride and Diversity has been going since 2008. Or sorry, it, it started in 2008 when they hired a woman called Dawn Emsonhoff, who has a research background. And she is also quite data-driven. And uh, she's you know, done research with the Kirby Institute, and you'll find ACON and the Kirby Institute have a lot of crossover, and they're often collaborating on different projects. Um, and I, I think she, I, I think it's fair to say she's sort of a nerd's nerd in a lot of ways. And what I found really interesting is when I went back and I looked at some of the really old collateral that they'd produced where they're producing these little leaderboard reports for that go to um, government and consultancies. Like we had PricewaterhouseCoopers and the Australian Federal Police and sort of that level of, of dry bureaucracy were signing on to the really early iterations of Pride and Diversity. These publications, they're so dry. <laughs> they have graphs in them. They're just paragraphs of walls and walls and walls of text. There's no rainbows. Um, they, they look like a prospectus for an investment firm. Um, and they do. They talk about outcomes and they talk about, you know, uh, this many people are saying that they feel comfortable saying that they're gay in the workplace. And... And they try to link it to outcomes a little bit more. They, they try. Fast forward now, there's a lot more colour. There's a lot more advertising. There's a lot more kind of weird glamour shots of like trans women being promoted as, um, you know, the new, the new women in the workplace. <laughs> Better women. <laughs> women plus, I think, is <laughs> the, the brand we're coming with. <laughs> um, and... Um, and they don't, they don't bring the stats in as much now. It's very much the, well, this is what you should be doing. Or this is, if you're not doing this, then you're not keeping up. They're very much more manipulative and they're very much more, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say more emotionally manipulative. So their pitch is less, this is going to help people. And, you know, you have all this unlocked potential here. You have these these gay people who feel really bad in the workplace uh, and let's unlock their potential and make them feel great to be at work. And 
now it's very much like, well, if you're not doing this, you're a laggard, you're behind, this is what all the cool kids are doing, come and join our rainbow parade. And they, they do a survey as part of the Australian Workplace Equality Index. You get a couple of points if you get a certain number of responses to their extensive workplace survey. And they amass, they've amassed this huge data set with all of the survey responses over the what 12 years they've been doing it. They've got millions and millions of data points across private enterprise, um, government, state government, local government. And yet the data they produce from it is pretty embarrassing, actually. <laughs> like the, the people who are, who are managing it these days, I don't think they understand how to use data. I don't think they understand trends. They definitely don't understand PowerPoint or, um, or like in presenting data, and they definitely don't understand Excel. Um, as an Excel nerd, I'm quite embarrassed whenever I see them quite try to bring up these these graphs and make a point with them. So, is that a result though of the fact that they've been successful? Like perhaps back in 2008, you know, people gay people maybe didn't feel comfortable coming out at work, but I think in 2023, you know, we've had we've had the 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 uh, Marriage Equality Act is, is passed. You know, gay marriage is legal now. Like I think discrimination against uh, against people, you know, it obviously still exists, I'm sure, but in a lot lot more of a muted way or, or, or you know, there's a lot less of it happening. Like, do you think they've been so successful now that they sort of have to hide those stats away because it would reveal that most people are just, you know, cool with people being gay or people being trans or whatever, like it's no big deal? Yeah, they, they're, definitely, they're definitely not producing the same kind of stats and they're not segmenting them in a way that makes a lot of sense. So they, they often try to make the case that if you're not out at the workplace, then you're not happy at work, right? And so that the way they try to correlate those two measures never quite adds up. Um, and they, they miss really obvious correlations, like there's a, huge, there's a huge sector of the workplace that are now transgender, like almost a third of some workplaces are now identifying as transgender. Um, and then they will without missing a beat, show an identical graph um, showing the people who identify as like man, woman, which are, you know, one third, one third, non-binary, one third. So that third of the workplace is literally people who have coloured their hair last week and declared themselves non-binary. So, yeah, they've been really successful. And as a result of that success, in 2015, they actually made a conscious effort in the Pride and Diversity um, scheme to move away from gay and lesbian equality to transgender equality. So they could see that gay marriage was coming, they could see that we're in a much more tolerant society, that they'd kind of won on that one, that people were inclusive of gays and lesbians in the workplace, that it was no big deal, and that the real fight for them was going to be transgender equality. But it just occurred to me, um, Kit, that they're in a race to the bottom because, you know, the moment they came up with the with the trans thing, did, didn't someone in the room say, wait a minute, I just want to say there was a time when we thought the gay thing was going to be like around for to keep us all on the gravy train for a while. And they're like, what are you talking about? This will, this will, be, this will go forever. And won't there be a day when when awkwardly that has no purchase and I, and my, my one point for my flag is worth nothing and what are we moving on to? 
Well, this is where the women's rights campaigners are sort of pointing into the future and saying, well, what comes after the T? It's Q. And what does Q stand for? Well, it stands for everything. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's unfortunately like Q means anyone who is different in some way or subverting your expectations in some way. Anything that is queer or queering. It's like you meet someone and they go, and you go, oh, I didn't know you like the Smiths or something. Yeah. And then and they go, yeah, well, you know, I'm just queer. And you go, okay. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I had, I had a woman, a friend of mine, come out on her Facebook as queer because she felt that sometime, one time when she was younger, that she kind of maybe felt, like she wasn't entirely straight and she got a lot of praise for coming out as queer for that um so <laughs> what is this and obviously we've got Acon. they've got they're getting 21 million dollars a year what are they going to do they're not going to shut up shop once they win everything that they want for the transgender crew they're going to find something else so I was uh, listening to a, um, a panel that ACON and Equality Australia did uh, last week with um, uh, politicians in the upcoming New South Wales election. So this was, uh, and Brad Hazard, who's the Minister for Health here in New South Wales, he literally said, um, someone asked him about funding for the LGBTQ and they said there's not enough funding. And he said, well, no one told me if you'd knocked on my door, there's plenty of funding. If you want money, form a group and I'll give you money. <laughs> like, Straight this up. is a minister just literally saying, I have a bucket of money for you. Form a group, get a business case. It, let's go. John, queer podcasters, come on. That's right. That's our, that's our <laughs> well, I've been long, but we've been long advocating for the H to be added somewhere in there. So. It would be G LGBTQH, that's us, and then we could get some of that cash. <laughs> it's, the, it's the straight with extra steps, right? <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll, yeah. But so, so that's good to know that we can get a bit of extra cash. I like that. Yeah, so th this money's not going to, like, this is not going away, you know, and this is not an equality struggle because now we, do, we have more than equality. <laughs> So is the hope that, that with, with all of your great research and hopefully people standing on your shoulders and us talking about it more, that everyone at their workplaces can start to be aware of when they see this badge and what they're being asked to, to do and to, you know, in the best case scenario, maybe start pushing back, maybe ask some questions, maybe getting places like the ABC to divest from this outfit if it is, a, if it is indeed um, a lobby group. That would be my hope. Uh, so I think most people would actually have a claim to join their LGBTQ network in their workplace. Because remember that Q stands for anything. Um, I'm a little bit wary about, you know, advocating people kind of just, you know, like joining a, um, a community that might actually be, um, you know, providing support to people. But at the same time, this is a way to get visibility over what's happening in your workplace. Um, and a lot of the times, if there is a new policy coming in, for example, a transgender leave policy, that might only be consulted with the Pride Network. Um, so that might not, not get wider consultation. 
and that might be the only way for you to get visibility of what's happening. So I'd say, yeah, definitely get some visibility about what's happening in your workplace and ask some of those questions. So, you know, ask like, are we a member of this? What do we actually get from it? Like, what's the value proposition for us? And do we need to keep proving ourselves against ACON's measurements? Because at the end of the day, ACON is not here to help anyone get better or get more mature at being inclusive. They do not measure the impact of activities on your workplace. Um, they, they just give you points and they just give you an award. It's, it's completely uh, valueless. Um, and absolutely, I want people talking about the ABC. The ABC is our national broadcaster. It's paid for by us. Its, it's mission is to reflect the richness and diversity of Australian society and you know, to challenge us, to inform us, to bring us forward into the future. And they're doing all of us a disservice by feeding us these lies that, you know, that men in women's sports are the most marginalised people on the planet. Um, <laughs> like the, the, the amount most, of gaslighting. Most marginalised and, and always the number one winner. Like somehow, the... somehow. <laughs> Well, Kit, we're very mindful of your time here. You've been so generous uh, coming on the show. But before uh, before we wrap up, um, just in case we missed anything, we'd like to give you the final word. I mean, what, what message would you like to, to send out there? I would like to say to people that um, I guess keep questioning what you read and read really widely. I know that there's a tendency for people to only ever consume podcasts or media or, you know, books that are from a perspective that you, um, you're already coming from, but read really widely and challenge yourself. And sometimes you will find something that's, that is surprising. Um, and don't be afraid to be that person who speaks up. Don't be afraid to start a blog and just like get your thoughts out there. Don't think that you have to wait for somebody else to give you permission to, to question and to start talking. Well, you mentioned reading in there, Kit, and we have the last questions we, we always ask. We'd love to know what you're reading right now. Well, I read a lot of articles. <laughs> I'm keeping up with a lot of news and views and, and boring articles. Um, but I have just started The Case Against the Sexual Revolution by Louise Perry. Um, and it's, it's going to be a blockbuster. I'm very excited. It's good. We've interviewed Louise. Yeah. And, oh, uh, and, I have to yeah, she's her book is fascinating. I, I I loved it. There was she was challenging. There was stuff that just as you said uh, about uh, reading outside your your discipline or, or your interest. I you know she there was a bunch of stuff that I agreed with obviously, but then there was some some really great stuff that 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 really rankled me and and I've been thinking about ever since. You talk, the the even the, the the start. She talks about Marilyn Monroe, if memory serves. Does she talk about yeah, him? she have now? She, she opens it with saying um, Marilyn Monroe and Hugh Hefner were born in the same year. And I was like, oh, I'm in for a ride. This is going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> only gets better. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's excellent. I, I thought for a moment there you were going to pick up a whole stack of Excel spreadsheets and go, this is what I'm <laughs> this reading is what I'm tonight. Reading. <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's actually uh, pretty close uh, to reality. <laughs> Which is why we love your work so much because you're doing, you know, if – if there is such a thing as having a crack team, you know, you need, you know, I feel like we've got the mouthpieces, like Ricky and I can be the mouth, and but we need, 
And I think you used that in your your presentation. You used used this uh, image of Penny from Inspector Gadget. Every Inspector Gadget needs a Penny. Okay, he is a moron, and he would be no good without her. Okay. Yeah, but he's a figurehead, right? He's the public face. Well, cishet, patriarchal figure. You need them. We've got that covered. So you know, we need someone to do all the hard work that we can take credit for later. Uh, go for it. Go for it. I I'm, I'm 100% want someone to take credit for for all of this. Just take it. Take it and go. Fantastic. Excellent. Well, uh, where, where, where can people find your, your work? Uh, do you have a website, uh, social media? Uh, yeah, I do. I have a couple of those. Um, so I have a blog, which is ladykitkowalski.wordpress.com. And I have just started a new podcast with my friend Eddie Wyatt. And we're at welcometothedollhouse.substack.com. So we're up to... We've, published episode three last week and up to episode four um we do sort of news and and views and chit chat from the gender universe i can recommend that podcast oh thank you i've listened thanks again kit thank you so much for having me on guys it's been really fun it's a pleasure Thank you for listening to the New Flesh podcast. If you like our work, please consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or even writing us a review. It really does help the show reach a wider audience. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, long live the New Flesh.